Welcome, welcome all to the Pro Football Radio Podcast. This is your co-host, Jay Chima, coming at you live with Da Puma. How are you, good sir? I'm good, man. You know, living the uh, living the quarantine life. I think this is our uh, third episode of doing remote recording, but getting getting pretty savvy at it. Sooner or later, we'll be able to be back in each other's space, and we'll have the intro music. But right now, I'm just glad we can get something down for the good people for their listening pleasure. That is well said, my man. This is episode 53, and just to give you guys a quick rundown of what we're going to talk about this uh, this week, we're going to jump right into the NFL schedule release that happened three nights ago. We'll talk about week one matchups that we really like. Um, we'll talk about power rankings in regards to who we think uh, came out uh, on top. But before all of that, we're going to do the over-unders that myself and the Puma think will, uh, will win the divisions, correct? Yeah, yeah. So... Got those, uh, got those totals right here. Now, depending on what sports book you look at, the the numbers might be a hair off. Uh, we use DraftKings just because one, I have the app on my phone, and two, I may or may not own a few shares of DraftKings for stock. So, you know, shameless plug. I'm not getting paid to say it, but just wanted to put it out there. Um, <laughs> so we'll start off with the AFC East. Uh, you have the Buffalo Bills, the over-under set at nine. The New England Patriots is at nine. The Jets are at six and a half. And my Miami Dolphins are at six. Uh, Jay, you get the floor first. Uh, which team do you think is going to come away with the division? And which over-under do you like? So the over-under that I like is the Buffalo over-under. It's at nine wins, um, like you mentioned. Um, and I think at the end of the day, Buffalo is an 11-5, 12-4 team. Um, at the end of the day, their roster top to bottom is head over heels better than anything else in the division. So you couple that with the fact that Josh Allen should be taking the next step this year. Those guys are going to end up with 11-5, 12-4. Um, the way I see panning out for the rest of the division, I feel as if Miami and New York are going to duel it out for the second spot. And then third is going to be New England. And then fourth is probably going to be the loser of the New York and Miami matchup. So probably Miami in my estimate. Um, but New York is going to be right behind those guys and New England is going to be third and Miami fourth. Sweet, sweet. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I like the Buffalo Bills. I think they're going to go over. Uh, the over-under that I personally have an eye on in this division, um, excuse me, is the uh, is the Miami Dolphins. Like I said, it's set at six. Um, I, I'm take, if I'm putting money down on this, I'm, I'm taking the under. I think five wins might be a slight miracle. Um, six feels about right, but five to me is a little bit more realistic. I mean, their first... Let's see, three, four, five, six games. I mean, I could see them possibly going 0-6 in those first couple of games. Like, that's um, – I would take the under of the Dolphins, in, in my own opinion. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we had this conversation off the air as well, and I, I just don't see those guys winning five games, man. I think if you – you make the team better through the draft and free agency. In my eyes, I think they did. And you still stay at five. It's kind of a little bit of a, of a step back in my eyes. I think they're around the seven mark win uh, for the Dolphins. But at the end of the day, five, seven, who really cares? It's just about showing some sort of improvement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. If, like I said, you know, when we talked off air, uh, if I would be all right if we got five wins this year. I would be more concerned if like the following year when we retool with the draft, because we still we have two first round picks again next year, I believe. And if we go out of that draft next season and we don't get more than six wins the following year and in, th in theory, two would be starting full time, then I might be hitting the panic button on Chris Greer and, and Brian Flores. But 
to me, I just want to see a little bit more incremental growth. If the offensive line could show a little bit more signs of life, I'd be a happy camper. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let's see. We'll go to the AFC South. Uh, let's see. Indianapolis is at eight and a half. Houston's at seven and a half. Tennessee is at eight and a half. And Jacksonville is bringing up the rear at five. Um, who do you got? So for this division, I've given this quite a bit of thought. And I do think Houston's going to take a step back this year. I think with all the the negativity around uh, Bill O'Brien, the fact that um, DeAndre Hopkins got traded, and the fact that I just don't believe in Deshaun Watson anymore. Uh, we've had this conversation a couple of times already, and I'm just not that high on Deshaun Watson. I think he's a great, great quarterback talent, but I don't think he's an elite level, and I don't think he'll get there either. Um, I, I think with that being said, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little bit of a uh, – a little bit of a uh, shocker here. I think Indianapolis is going to win 10 games. I think with Philip Rivers and the, how stacked that roster is, I, I think Indianapolis is going to win with 10 games. And I'll definitely be, if you're a betting fan, go after that over under for Indianapolis. The rest of the division, how I see it panning out, Houston's going to be second, Tennessee third, and then Jacksonville's probably going to be in 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 the uh, ballpark for the worst record in the NFL and probably the number, number one overall draft pick next year. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm with you. I like Indianapolis's over-under. I, I think they're going to be, you know, I, I could see them being possibly a 10-win team. I mean, Phillip Rivers, he's familiar with the Frank Reich, you know, offense, and he has history with their offensive coordinator as well. They're both on his staff down in, uh, at the time, I believe they were in San Diego in 2015. Uh, so he's familiar with that. He has a much-improved offensive line, uh, decent skill players. I mean, T.Y. Hilton, if he can just stay healthy for a full season, that'd be great. Paris Campbell should be back in the in the fold. And I really like that pick of uh, Pittman in the draft. I think it was like a second rounder. Uh, I really like that. The defense is still intact. Uh, the over-under that I kind of have an eye on is Tennessee at eight and a half. Uh, it was a great story last year with what Tannehill did and Derrick Henry putting that team on their back. But, I mean, he touched the ball almost like 450 times. I, I just don't know if he's going to be able to have a, a similar workload and continue to produce. And, you know, that offensive line took a step back. They addressed it in the draft with Isaiah Wilson. But uh, I might take the under on eight and a half for Tennessee. I just – I don't know. I, they're going to have to get a little bit more dynamic in the offense, especially in this division with how the Colts look. Cool, cool. Um, all right, next up we've got the FC North, correct? Yep. So oh. the, the North leading the pack, uh, you got Baltimore at 11. Uh, followed by Pittsburgh at eight and a half, Cleveland at eight, and then the Joe Burrow-led Cincinnati Bengals uh, at six. Okay, well, the way I see the division panning out, um, it's very early, I know, but um, in my way too early um, May uh, division picks right now, obviously Baltimore is going to win that, and they're going to win it heavily. I think we're probably looking at 12 and four, 13 and three. They're going to be vying for that number one spot. Um, after that, that's where it gets interesting, and the, and the over-under you want to keep an eye on is probably that Cleveland over-under. I think eight is a little too low. Um, I think they're going to win 10, maybe 11 games this year. Um, I think the fact that Stefanski went out there and got a, uh, a Case Keenum as a backup is to make sure Safeguard didn't go back in the tank. I think this is the year they put it all together. If Baker Mayfield is not going to be their guy, they're going to pull him and start uh, Case Keenum and win those games they need to win to get into playoffs. So I think keep an eye on that Cleveland 8-win scenario. That's really low in my eyes, and the talent on that roster speaks to the fact that that team is going to be 10 and 10 and 6, 11 and 5. Um, to round it out, Cincinnati is probably going to be one of the worst teams in the division. They're obviously rebuilding with Joe Burrow. Give them another year or so before they can make some noise. So uh, the way I see it panning out, Baltimore, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati. Um, and maybe I'll ask you this question as well. Pittsburgh is an enigma to me. I have no idea what I'm getting. I don't know how healthy uh, 
Uh, Big Ben is going to be with his arm, and I don't know what to expect out of him this year. They could be one of those teams that could surprise us, or they can really be in straight-out like tanking mode, and this is going to be the last year for Big Ben, and they have to kind of move on to another option after that. But I really don't know what to make of Pittsburgh so far. Yeah, um, with Pittsburgh, I mean, I, I agree with you with the Cleveland over-under uh, eight. I would take the over in that. They really made a point to address uh, the offensive line, uh, th- that was the biggest issue with Baker. I mean, yeah, he was missing people. He was missing windows. But, you know, in in his defense, I never thought I would be defending Baker Mayfield. I mean, he was on his ass more often than, often than not because there was just no offensive line to protect him. So now, like, they, they made it a point to address that in the draft and in free agency with – uh, you know, Jack Conklin, that that signing was huge. And, and Austin Hooper uh, to help block on the line as well, too. Uh, so now there's no excuses. So I think they could hit o- the over on the eight win total. Uh, but for Pittsburgh, I mean, they went eight and eight just on that defense along with, you know, Duck Hodges and, uh, and, and Mason Rudolph, you know, anchoring that or attempting to anchor that uh, that quarterback position for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's going to be interesting to see how Ben looks. Uh, Mike Tomlin came out today. I think it was on The Athletic, uh, one of those articles, saying that he expects Big Ben to be the starter. He looks good. And, you know, they've been video conferencing and doing talking about the rehab. And, you know, he looks good by Big Ben standards, which, you know, he doesn't do <laughs> off-season training. Uh, Jake Glazer had a report. I think he just cracks open a PBR and does yoga once a day. Um, but... If he's able to show some semblance of being, you know, being healthy, I think they're going to move Juju Smith-Schuster from the outside back into the slot. That's more of his natural position, and they're going to put that uh, that Claypool kid on the outside. I oh, think that's going to. I love, gonna, I love Claypool gonna, so much. Claypool's going to be a savage, and I think if you put Juju back inside, he would be able to to feast a little bit better. He he laid an egg at all times last year. It didn't matter. Um, so you move him back inside. I think this offense will stand a chance to to make it a little bit interesting in the division. So, it, but the key is going to be is is Roethlisberger's elbow going to hang up, uh, hold up uh, yeah. over the season. And and I'm right there with you, man. I think Roethlisberger and how that's going to play out is going to be one of the more intriguing sideline stories that's going to be bubbling underneath uh, as the season goes along. They really don't have a backup plan for. Um, for what's his face, Big Ben, and I don't know if they're ready to move on just yet. I think this year is going to play big. I mean, eventually you do have to think next year they have to go after a quarterback in the draft, right? Oh, um, yeah, for sure. We all thought it was going to be this year, but then they gave up that first round for Minkup uh, Fitzpatrick. So I think this is the last stand for Big Ben. I mean, this is it, brother, man. Like, uh, if you want to win another Super Bowl, this is it. And then after that, I think they're going to be drafting a quarterback. Yeah, in, in the instance of, you know, Brandon calling his shot, in the event that Big Ben gets hurt, I wouldn't be surprised if they made a run at Cam Newton if he doesn't have a job, you know, between now and if that happens. I think, you know, Cam Newton, he came, it came out that he's open to being a backup now, but I feel like if he's going to get a starting job or on a roster to begin with, it's going to be like the Jay Cutler route where, you know, Ryan Tannehill gets hurt and then he comes in to kind of save the day. I think that's going to be the way Cam Newton gets back in the league for at least this season. So if Ben goes down, I wouldn't be surprised if you see uh, Cam Newton in the black and yellow. I tell you what, that would be interesting to see uh, Cam Newton with that talent of roster around him. Uh, I do believe that's an up-and-coming defense. I do think they have some great pieces on offense. And I think with, with Cam Newton, and obviously if he can stay healthy, I think you plug that guy in. If Big Ben gets hurt, I think they can make a deep run. I don't know why they're not bringing him right now. I think if you bring in, him, if you bring in Cam Newton when Big Ben gets hurt, it might be too late in the year to, for him to pick up the playbook and get ingratiated with the teammates. I think you bring him now. I think the fact that he said he's willing to be a backup, um, that's something that would, would bode well for the Steelers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll head out west. Uh, we'll go lead off with Kansas City. They have the highest uh, over-under total. I think they have the highest one on the board at 11 and a half. Uh, then you got uh, Denver at seven and a half, the Chargers at seven and a half, and the the Raiders, the new Las Vegas Raiders at seven. Um, Essentially, what that means right there is nobody has any idea what's going to happen after the Kansas City Chiefs in that division with those right. over-unders. And, that, and truthfully, I'll be right there with those odd makers. I really have no idea either, man. Obviously, we can look at Denver right after uh, Kansas City as having the most talent around Drew Locke. But is Drew Locke really going to continue a stellar play at the end of the year? Obviously, we have to look at Los Angeles. And is Justin Herbert going to start? And if he does start, how much, how ready will he be? We have to look at Las Vegas, which I'm not sold on cars. So I don't think the the staff in Las Vegas is sold on a sold on car either. So essentially, those over over unders mean they really have no idea either. But if I had to guess, I think Denver is going to be the one team that's probably going to eke out eight wins, probably nine wins. I just cannot fathom the fact that um, you have so much talent on your roster and you can't eke out eight nine wicks, eight nine wins. So I will go with that Denver over under at seven point five. Um, the way I see the division shaking out, Kansas City is obviously going to win. They're a fourteen and two team, thirteen and three team. Right behind them, Denver. Right behind them, the Raiders. And then finally, Los Angeles up in the rear. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I have the Chiefs winning the division. And the the over-under that, I guess, if I had to put Buddy down for a lock, uh, it's it's the over for Kansas City. They're they're at least a 12-win team. Uh, even, you know, I think they won, they won 12 games last year. Mahomes was out for a couple of weeks. So uh, I think it's a lock. It, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, two out of the three remaining teams in the division were below 500. I mean, Vegas... Last year, they kind of peaked early. They overachieved for a bit, and they were in a playoff run. But uh, it's just the, the, there's too many questions with the quarterback. The, neither one of those guys is going to stretch the field enough to make use of Henry Ruggs unless that's the point of, hey, you have this guy on the outside. Now there's no excuse. You have to chuck the ball deep. But I just don't see that happening. Uh, I think there is a good chance that Drew Locke could take that leap forward uh, in, in his uh, second year. But who knows? It's a new offense that he's learning, so it's going to be fun to watch. But get, put your money down on Kansas City over 11 and a half. Call it a day. Set it and forget it. Um, NFC. Uh, we're going to go to the NFC East. You have the Dallas Cowboys at nine and a half. Philly at nine and a half. The Giants at six and a half. And the Washington Redskins at five. So... Usually the NFC East is the hardest division for me to pick just because you have no idea what's going to happen at any given year. Um, this year, it's no, it's obviously, it's, it's in the same, uh, same realm again. Um, I think, I think if I had to pick right now, I think I'm going to roll with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I think the fact that they're at, was well, he said 9.5, right? Yeah. I think I think it's going to take ten wins for somebody to win that division, and I think that's going to be the Dallas Cowboys. Put your money down there, man. I like what they did in the draft. I like the fact they got Ceedee Lamb down in the 14th spot. I like the fact they picked up that cornerback deep in the second round, and I like the fact they picked up Andy Dalton just in case um, Dak Prescott's contract situation um, doesn't uh, you know doesn't come, doesn't come to completion before the uh, NFL season starts. You have a, a viable backup to jump in for two or three games. Um, the way I see the rest of the division panning out, Philadelphia is probably going to be second. Um, between New York and Washington, really have no idea, man. I think I'm gonna give Washington a nod because I believe in their defense way more than I believe in the the Giants' defense. Um, so if I had to put my money down, take the ten wins with the Dallas Cowboys, and that's gonna be a winner of the of the NFC East. Sweet. Uh, I have mine flipped. I'm going with the Eagles to win this division. Um, I just I really like what they did in the draft and in getting uh, Jalen Rager, and you know people can kind of 
turn their eye and look a little sideways at the the Jalen Hurts pick. I, I kind of think they picked a little too high in the draft for, for him. But, I mean, if he's your guy and you're worried that someone behind you is going to creep up and get him, then just go and get your guy. Uh, he would be a good insurance policy as well in case Carson Wentz goes down with an injury. Uh, the over-under that I kind of have my eye on is Dallas. Uh, I would, I'm would i kind of leaning towards taking the under at 9.5 just because I think the payout might be a little bit better than, than going with the with the Eagles in that. So I might take the under at 9.5 uh, for for the Dallas Cowboys. Even though I'm right there with you, I like what they did in the draft. But they, they kind of have a little bit of a, you know, a harder schedule, in my opinion, uh, down the stretch. So... Uh, I'm going to put my money down on the under. Uh, <clears throat> heading to the NFC South, where I think, honestly, this might be one of the toughest divisions in the NFL. Uh, you have the New Orleans Saints opening up at 10, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or Tampa Bay, because somebody had to trademark that name, uh, at 10, followed by the uh, Atlanta Falcons at 7, and Carolina at 5.5. Who do you got, Jay? I think I'm going to take that Atlanta over-under. I think this is the year that Atlanta is going to win nine games. They're going to be a 9-7 and seven team. Um, I think I like everything they did in the draft. They uh, they moved up. They took the uh, defensive players they needed to build a formidable defense. Um, and the fact that the over-under at 7 is just way too low for that talented of a team. Um, Atlanta is one of those enigmas as well, just as the Steelers. They could have one year where they're durable or one year where they're like 2-14. and 14. You just don't know what you're going to get with Atlanta. But I do believe with the, the heightened level of quarterback play and just the level of competition in that division, it's going to bring those guys up as well. The way I see the division panning out, I think New Orleans is going to win it, probably at a 13-3. and three. I think the, the the Tampa Brady Buccaneers are going to be around the um, the probably the twelve and four mark, and then below that's going to be nine and seven Atlanta. Um, I'm looking at three teams making it to the playoffs from this division. Okay, um, I'm going with the Saints. I'm taking the over under. Uh, I'll, I'll take the over at t- of uh, ten. I think they're probably like an eleven or twelve win team. And I think like a big key to this is just going to be continuity. I mean, uh, last week, I think it was Sean Payton. He came out and told everybody on the roster, don't even worry about doing virtual offseason programs. Just worry about your families. I'll see you in, once you know training camp opens, if it, in fact is going to open. Uh, I think continuity is going to be key. And the Saints are a machine. Uh, they, they've been together the longest out of everybody here. Uh, so I think they're an 11 win team. I would take the Falcons. I, I kind of like, I like your, your thought process with that. My only concern is, you know, they have all that talent, but man, they never have depth. They never have enough depth. And if like, you know, if, if Todd Gurley goes down, like who's the second and third string running back that's going to pick up the load, like Edo Smith and insert a name here. It's just that they, they never have enough depth to make that team contend. And that's, that's always going to be the biggest downfall for that team. And I hope they, I hope they win more than that. I think they have their, their window to win now is, is closing. If it's not already closed, it's like barely a crack open at the bottom of the windowsill. Uh, so they have to, they have to make a, they have to make a move, but hopefully everybody can stay intact and stay healthy to make a, a playoff run. Um, we're going to head to the NFC North, the black and blue division. Uh, we have Green Bay opening up at eight and a half wins, Minnesota at eight and a half wins, the Chicago Bears at seven and a half, and Detroit at seven. Well, give me Green Bay, man. You said eight and a half, correct? Yeah. Well, the fact that they went 13-3 and last year, and it looks like it's coming out, there's a lot of rub between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. And if they're able to get to 13-3 and last year with all that uh, – 
negative energy in the locker room. Uh, I think they're going to go past that. I think they're looking at 11 wins maybe, uh, maybe even 12, depending on how it pans out. But give me Green Bay um, to win that division. Give me Minnesota right behind them. I think Detroit's going to be third. And then Chicago's probably going to be way last, man. I'm not, I'm not so the Mitch Trubisky looks like uh, the Bears aren't either. So that's the way I see that division panning out. Okay. Um I got. I have Minnesota winning the division. I like what they did in the draft with the offensive line. Uh, they got Ezra Cleveland, who was a, a you know projected to be a, a first round draft pick. Uh, he kind of rose up people's draft boards as we got close to the draft. But I think they got him in the second round. Um, I like them to the win the division. Uh, the over under that I have my eye on is Green Bay, but for the opposite reasons. Um, I think that thirteen and what was it thirteen and three they were last year. Um, I think it was kind of one of the more pretender records, to be honest, uh, with all the stuff coming out of, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur and, you know, the GM, Brian uh, Gutekunst, not being on the same page and, and trying to look down the road for the future. Uh, eight and a half. I'm taking the under. I don't th- with all that nonsense. And you're going to start having the uh, the mental gymnastics brought on by the black belt in uh, in, uh, you know, subtle digs and and whatnot and Aaron Rodgers I think they could be uh less than an eight win team uh this season they didn't really address any of the the needs in wide receiver and their defense I don't think they really shored up that much they couldn't stop the run uh give me the under for Green Bay all right all right um we got one last division the west correct yes sir you got the west you have the defending NFC champions, the San Francisco 49ers, opening up at 10.5, followed by the Seattle Seahawks at 9. Then you have the Rams at 8. And you got Arizona at 7. Who do you got, Mr. Chima? So what was the San Francisco over-under again? 10.5. I, I think I'm going to lean towards um, 11 wins for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I think I liked everything they did this year. I like the fact they went out and got Trent Williams. Um, for basically a steal in my mind. And the fact they picked up Brandon Ayuk in the draft, um, my God, that offense itself was great. And you had those two pieces for um, obviously Joe Stay retiring, and that's where Trent Williams will kind of slide in. I, I think uh, I think 11 wins is really, really feasible for the San Francisco 49ers team, even though you got Jimmy G as your quarterback. I don't think they're going to win the division. I think Seattle's going to win it at 12-4. and four, um, And I think Los Angeles is probably going to come in around 8-8, eight and eight, and then Arizona 7-9. and nine. All right. Uh, I'm with you. I have... I have the 49ers winning the division, but the over-under I like is the Arizona Cardinals. I think they're going to hit the over, and I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. And I think they could be a sneaky playoff contender. Uh, and everything aside, I may or may not have put in a bet uh, for Kyler Murray to win the MVP next year. Uh, he had pretty decent odds, so decent payout if you put five bucks down. I, I just think... Year two, Kyler Murray with this new and improved offense uh, with DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk. Uh, they showed signs of life in the run game with Kenyon Drake and uh, and Ch- I believe it was Chase Edmonds. He was the the running back that went off against the Giants and then got hurt the following week. But the, the offensive side of the football looks great. It's a year two. Uh, continuity is going to be key, and they really addressed the need on the defense with Isaiah uh, Isaiah Simmons, who you can just plug and play all over the place like a chess piece on that defense. And I think Chandler Jones might be able to get after it and, and possibly get, you know, maybe around 18 sacks this season. So I like the Arizona Cardinals. Give me the over on that number uh, and sneaky playoff team. Wonderful, wonderful. 
Um, okay, cool. So that rounds up our over under segment. Uh, moving on to the next topic for today's podcast, we're going to talk about the NFL schedule release. Um, I never ever thought I'd say this, but thank you, God, Roger Goodell, you've been absolutely crushing it through the pandemic, giving us the NFL draft, giving us the NFL schedule release, and the schedule when it came out, man, I was surprised, man. Week one, they came out with a bang. Some games in week one are absolutely amazing. So the way we're going to break this segment down is we're going to talk about some of the bigger marquee games we're looking forward to throughout the whole year and then we'll break down week one games that we're really looking forward to. Um, right off the bat, some of the big primetime games I'm looking forward to. And and, and as I always say, Sunday Football has the best, best um, primetime games. And I think this year it's no different, right? So they kick off week one with the Cowboys going down to L.A. Um, to christen that new stadium. That's going to be a fun game to watch. Um, week three, you got Green Bay traveling down to New Orleans to play um, Drew Brees and the Saints. Um, that's going to be a great game. Um, week seven, you've got a sneaky good game. you got the Raiders and the Buccaneers matching up, which on the surface might not be a, a really marquee game, but I think it's going to pan out to be a great game. And then week nine on the Sunday night football schedule, uh, the Saints going back to um, the Buccaneers stadium to play Tom Brady. I think Drew Brees was a Tom Brady twice a year. It's basically marquee. You can't get any better than that. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I mean, week one matchups that I like uh, besides the, the primetime games, uh, Houston, Kansas City, uh, which could possibly be a bloodbath. Uh, Dallas and L.A. You got and then you have the doubleheader on Monday night, Pittsburgh Giants, then Titans uh, Broncos. I, I really like uh, the Cleveland, uh, the Cleveland Browns versus the Baltimore Ravens uh, for week one. Cleveland has that more uh, much improved offensive line. This is kind of going to kind of be the litmus test to see like where has this roster, you know, come from compared to last year. You know, the first time they played Baltimore last year, they smoked them out. And then last year, I think they, they were close. It, it wasn't a complete blowout. They were close in that game. And then from the Baltimore side, will Lamar and company pick up where they left off last year? Uh, Green Bay, Minnesota. I think this is going to be a huge playoff uh, playoff implication game right off the bat. Uh, these guys are going to be going neck and neck for the division. Uh, so this keep keep in mind once week 17 comes like th- this is going to be a huge factor in that. And then how will Prima Rogers look after the offseason he had? That's kind of what I'm here for at this point. And then Arizona and San Francisco, uh, they, Arizona, these guys, they, they played San Francisco hard last year on Thursday night football. They really gave the 49ers a run for their money. Like I said earlier, in the, the last segment it's going to be. You know, year two, can Kyler Murray make that leap under dancing Cliff Kingsbury's uh, offensive scheme? Uh, it's going to be fun to see how that plays out. And on the San Francisco side, the defense is mostly intact. Uh, they they addressed uh, a hole in the defense with, I believe, what was it? Chase on? Chase on they took to fill the void yep. for uh, DeForest Buckner that they they traded to uh, to Indianapolis. And then they got Debo Samuel, and now you have Brandon Ayuk possibly being schemed in space. That's going to be a fun team to watch. Uh, but real quick, just on the schedule release, it's kind of interesting to see how they, they planned, how like the, the bye weeks look, because all the, the, the team's opponents, whoever they're playing for week two, that's the team that they share for a bye week. So I know Troy Vincent came out on the broadcast and said, you know, this is the schedule. We don't have like a secret schedule in mind uh, in case we have to delay things. Uh, if they have to push, If they have to wash away week two, they already have it kind of built in that these teams could play each other on a bye week if need be. And fun fact, uh, Albert Breer pointed this out on Thursday morning in his Monday morning quarterback uh, article. And then uh, Adam Schefter picked it up and and ran with it 
on his side for ESPN on Friday morning. But uh, apparently there is flexibility to move uh, the Super Bowl, if need be, if they have to move the schedule back uh, to keep all 16 uh, games intact. So there's no no lost revenues. That's kind of part of the bidding process for a venue. You have to block off a couple of days. So, I mean, if they have to move the schedule back and they have to move the Super Bowl, you might have football in March if need be. And uh, I think that and this is just my opinion, just from things that I saw. Uh, Breer also pointed out that if these teams were to have games without fans, you know, throughout the season, each team would lose about a hundred million a pop in total revenue. You know, there's eight home games in a, for each team. That's about twelve and a half million dollars for every game that's played without fans. And if that's to happen, that could have a, a implications for the salary cap for next year. So I think. Despite what people say, I think the schedule is fluid. If they want to make sure that they can get fans in the stands, they can bump the schedule out a couple of weeks if need be because of the Super Bowl buffer factor. Yeah, the fact that Troy Vincent said that on national TV was just a bold-faced lie. There's, there's absolutely no way um, that they don't have a backup plan in place. And this is one of the things that always pisses me off about the NFL is they, they always want to be like very macho and show uh, no sort of weakness. And and I don't think in this scenario admitting the fact that you have a backup schedule is, uh, is some sort of weakness. And I get what they're trying to do, but I think it's a bold-faced lie. Peter King, uh, going off that article that you're talking about, Peter King also went on uh, PFT and kind of discussed how there is a plan in play where October 15th or week five could be the beginning of the NFL season. And what they're going to do is it's going to kind of take the first four games and push it back on the back end of the schedule. And then you'll have a Super Bowl late February, early March. So, I mean, that's a good chance the way this thing is panning out um, that uh, it could it could uh, it could actually happen. Now, the one thing that's a positive is as going to the NFL's favor. It seems as if the more you talk to people in the know and Mike Floyd brought this up is the more this confidence that the NFL is going to have a full schedule starting on September the 10th. Um, they have a plan in play. They believe that testing is going to be readily available around that time. Um, and they think that uh, we're going to be in such a good situation with the antibody testing and the tracing and all the uh, stipulations we put into play that there will be a full start to the season on September 10th. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. And it's kind of funny, you know, just to, to wrap up on, on Trey Vincent, like he had that statement with I was watching Rich Eisen. I was watching the NFL Network. Um, he had that statement with Rich. And then like 10 minutes later, like Roger Goodell and like the NFL PR guy Twitter handle, like put out a statement saying basically that this schedule is fluid. So like either Troy Vincent went off the reservation and just said something off the cuff or they just threw Troy Vincent head first under the bus and said, yeah, go out and say this. And then you'll look like a moron and Roger Goodell will come in and save the day with the statement. So it was kind of interesting to watch. And uh, to wrap up on the schedule, at least, Jay, what did you do during the? Did you watch all three hours of the schedule release on ESPN or NFL Network? What bring us into the life of Jay Chima on schedule release day? Schedule release day, I was so excited. I decided to cut out of work early, and by cut out of work early, I just logged off early, right? <laughs> and I nice. Decided, I decided it's going to be one of those days where it was nice out. I was going to get the, the grill going. I was going to get a drink going. I had a cigar. Uh, me and my buddy, uh, me and my roommate, Nick, we just got some steaks going on the grill. We had a drink. We had um, our cigars rolling. And then by 8 o'clock, we're in front of TV. We were watching the schedule release. I watched about an hour and a half. Um, just because I felt like that was enough. But for me, man, just like 
just anything you can give me right now in this time in this pandemic we're so starved for any sort of interaction any sort of sports um that uh, any little thing even even though it's minuscule the fact that we already know who we're playing the fact that we already know um you know what the schedule looks like essentially but it was just the when that we found out was still enough for me to kind of take my mind off of things and i think that's the bigger picture here is it's not about you know this this fanfare or this like you know crazy elaborate uh, crazy elaborate like event we're watching it's just simply taking our mind off of things and that's what i was doing that night awesome uh yeah i uh, i had it on i watched you know i watched about like an hour hour and a half uh with you know with tara on the couch and you know by watching with with my fiance she was just scrolling through the phone watching tiktok videos while i was just like looking at bill belichick and hoping to see nike the dog make a cameo appearance but i was real like i was excited it was great to see that like the schedule was coming out we already knew who the opponents were going to be. We just didn't know where and when. Uh, so that was kind of cool. But I was really just here for all the the team Twitter handles for the videos that they were doing. Um, my personal favorite was the Jacksonville Jaguars one uh, with like different, different cats doing different things to symbolize like, you know, whichever the opponent was. Like they showed a cat looking like it, it had like static electricity for playing like the charges and whatnot. Like that was fun. I thought what the charges did in their release video was, you know, they, they brought on like first responders and nurses and, and, uh, and doctors to, to name the, 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 the schedule for the season. But they also came out beforehand and, and they, they, gave these guys an envelope uh, with a letter and it said that they were going to pay these people's, you know, thousand dollars worth of, of groceries, uh, I think up until the season kicked off. So that was pretty cool to see them do that. Uh, but yeah, the, the team Twitter handles were what I was here for. And then just watching maybe an hour of, of the stuff on TV after a while, it just kind of became overkill at that point, but it was great to see. It was great to see. And I think they were uh, top, Top five, top ten, at least in ratings for that evening on on television. So it's, you know, if you're Roger Goodell, that's a good thing to see. And with TV deals on the horizon, that's another good thing to see. So yeah, speaking of TV deals, I was thinking about this the other day, and you remember how much hate the NFL and the NFLPA were getting for pushing a deal through the uh, CBA deal. Could you imagine if I had to negotiate that deal this year or next year with the coronavirus taking up two or three years of our lives? I mean, I think the fact that they got that done early was probably in their best interest. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're the NFL owners is as bad as it sounds like you're kind of, I guess, happy that the you know, I say that I'm not saying that they were happy a fucking pandemic came out, but from a, a business model standpoint, like. You know, timing is everything, especially in negotiations where, you know, everyone thought that the players, including myself, the players had the team over a barrel by saying, you know, we can play out this year under the expiring contract and we'll cross that bridge next year when the TV deals are up. But, uh, yeah, the players got money in their pocket. The owners have guaranteed labor peace for a decade. And, you know, they didn't really have to badmouth people in the media. But now. You know, the catch 22 to that is what's going to happen with these media deals. Like, you know, if there's not going to be, again, the the if, if there's not going to be any fans in the stands, how can advertise, advertise companies and advertisers justify spending money to put ads on, on TV or radio or in the stadium if there's nobody there to, to see it. So that might cut into the revenue if, you know, we do play without fans. It's going to be interesting to see how these TV deals uh, deals play out. Uh, speaking of TV deals, it's kind of interesting to see that 
I believe the second Monday Night Football game is going to be on ABC. It's not going to be on ESPN. So I think in the next round of TV deal negotiations, uh, the mouse in Walt Disney, I think ABC is going to have a bigger seat at the table and trying to get games on ABC instead of having everything just strictly put on ESPN. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Let me uh, let me just finish up my week one games that I'm keeping an eye on. Then we'll jump right into the power rankings. Um, so the week one games that I'm really looking forward to is going to be Texans versus the Chiefs. Uh, it's going to be the kickoff game for the NFL season. And uh, obviously the Chiefs are going to be the Chiefs. They're going to be lower. They're going to come out swinging. They're just, in my opinion, even, even gotten better from last year. Um, but I'm really interested to see what the Texans are going to do. I think the Texans are a team to kind of watch this year. I want to see how that relationship between Deshaun Watson and uh, Bill O'Brien kind of work out. Um, I think uh, with the DeAndre Hopkins trade and bringing Brandon Cooks in, we'll see how Deshaun Watson and and uh, Brandon Cooks mesh. And, and my overall theme for this year is I'm going to keep an eye on Deshaun Watson, see how he progresses, um, see what kind of quarterback he really is. Uh, the second game I'm really looking forward to is going to be the Seahawks versus the Falcons. I think this is going to be a good litmus test for us to figure out who the Falcons are going to be this year. I think around week four, you can really figure out who a team is. But I think in this first game, you can see the energy the Falcons are going to bring. And if they can stand toe-to-toe with the Seahawks, then there'll be somebody to mess with down the road. The third game, the Dolphins versus the Patriots. I want to see what my team, the Patriots, are going to do. I want to see what Derek Stadium is going to be all about. And I think the Dolphins are going to lose that game up in Foxborough. Um, but I think that's the uh, one and only loss. They're going to, uh, that's the one and the only loss when the Patriots are going to have um, for quite a bit because the schedule gets really tough after that. We're talking Seahawks, Chiefs, all these amazing teams in the first eight games. Um, and then finally, the game of the week for week one, in my eyes, is the Bucks traveling to an Orleans to play the Saints. Um, I think that is going to be tremendous. I think the fact that the Buccaneers have to travel to New Orleans makes it even more harder for the uh, the Tampa Brady Buccaneers. Um, but that's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch. So we can't wait, man. Um, I know it's, what, still three, four months away? But, my God, I'm super stoked right now. Yeah, you know what? The lines actually came out uh, with the schedule release. So on DraftKings, while they were doing – the, the TV special, like the lines were showing up. And I think uh, Kansas City opened up as 10 and a half. DraftKings, they were 10 and a half point favorites. I think it got knocked down to 10 point favorites, but it's still uh, not good. It's still not good. 10 and a half is a big number. Yeah, but here's the thing, too. And I think the lines are factoring in fans. Like the lines are factoring in fans going to the stadium. I mean, if you, if for some reason there's no fans in Arrowhead week one, I could see that line coming down because then at that point, the only adversity that the Texans are facing in regards to going to Kansas City is to travel. Like there's not it's not going to be a hostile environment like that line could come down across the league if there's no fans involved. So, uh, I mean, if I was living in a state where sports betting was legal, I might try to get in a couple of line actions uh, to get the better spread, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, you don't live in a state with betting, so you have to call your mom and have her put the bets in, right? <laughs> no, no, I've been, uh, you know, calling some other folks. Call his mommy. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, she gets a little bit of a brokerage fee, but it's fine. Do you, you gotta... give your mom a brokerage fee, ten percent? <laughs> yeah, I go look a couple of bucks here and there, you know, you know. Are you getting ripped off here? Let me represent you. We can get a twelve percent, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Anywho. All right. You want to get into the uh, top yeah. five power rankings? Oh, we'll go into the top five power rankings. Uh, I think uh, being that it's just May, we're not going to do like 10 or 15. Um, we're not going to go that deep into it just yet. But we're going to give you our general feel of top five power rankings. 
and we'll just kind of do it uh, uh, one by one. I'll give you my first, and Brian will give you his first. Um, I think it's very simple. For the first uh, power ranking, um, I think it's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. The fact that they are the Super Bowl champions, um, and they're coming out, and they really didn't lose anybody. In my eyes, they maybe even gotten better with the addition of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, that running back is going to do wonders for Patrick Mahomes in that offense. So not much to say here. These guys are going to be great. Week one, Chiefs, that's where it's at. Yeah. Um, did you? I'm sorry. Did you do? You did all. I, I was getting in a, a Twitter no, debate no. with Josh. <laughs> was, no, we're still talking that. about the Saints and Sean Payton and, and referees and passing interference. Oh, um, well, so what I'm do is I'm going to give you uh, my first and you give a, a, the audience. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. So yeah, I'm with you. I have the Kansas City Chiefs uh, as uh, as number one in the power rankings. I mean, there, there's no holes. There, there's no holes. They brought back Chris Jones. Uh, they, they drafted Clyde Edwards Hilaire just because they felt like it. And with all these reports that, you know, Andy Reid's possibly going to be using him like a young LaShawn McCoy out in uh, Philadelphia when he was the head coach out there or Brian Westbrook, uh, fantasy football wise, I, I, I might take Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the, uh, in the second round if he's still on the board and I'm on the clock, uh, that this offense is still built to roll, uh, give the Kansas city chiefs at number one. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, number two in the power rankings, man, give me the Baltimore Ravens. Um, this is going to be one of those years where Lamar Jackson, in my estimate, is going to take that step into elite quarterback. Obviously, last year he was right on the heels behind Patrick Mahomes, but this is a year where we're talking like a 13-3 and kind of year. So give me the Ravens at number two. I liked everything they did in the draft. I like the fact that they took um, J.K. Dobbins, which is uh, the running back out of Ohio State. Um, he was the all-time rushing leader at Ohio State. I mean, think about all the great running backs that came out. Um, from Buckeye Nation, which includes Eddie George and Ezekiel Elliott and the Archie Griffin and the fact that you're better than all those guys and have more stats. Uh, I think the fact that Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins, and Mark Ingram are going to run wild on the NFL. And then also on defense, I like that inside linebacker they drafted, Patrick Queenman. Um, that guy, and it's a little early to say this, and Lamar Jackson said it himself, but it gives you vibes of Ray Lewis, man. The guy has speed, athleticism. So the defense got better. They got Calais Campbell on defense, and their offense in my eyes got better. Um, watch out for the Ravens, man. They could be vying for that number one power ranking spot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. It's, it's chalk to this point. I have Baltimore as the second best team. And uh, just a piggyback on J.K. Dobbins, just fantasy football-wise. Um, I mean, this is going to be a run-heavy team. Mark Ingram, he popped, a, he popped a calf at the end of the year. They tried to bring him back uh, to play the Titans, and he just wasn't 100%. And no, no, no disrespect to to Gus Edwards and and Justice Hill, but you know if you snag J.K. Dobbins in fantasy football, you, you might have a lottery ticket winner right there. And if Mark Ingram one isn't the same or two gets dinged up again, uh, this kid looks legit, and I, they're going to do a lot of running out of the shotgun, and that's primarily what Ohio State did uh, running oh out of the backfield, right? So. Uh, it's just going to be plug and play. Uh, love that Dobbins pick. And Dude, give me Baltimore, I, too. I cannot speak how uh, highly of J.K. Dobbins, man. Like, the guy, in my estimate, is better than Ezekiel Elliott. Um, he can run out of the backfield. He's quicker than Zeke. Um, he has more breakaway speed. He's just as big. Um, he can actually catch out of the backfield as well. I mean, 20, 30% of his plays for J.K. were coming out of the backfield, and J Justin Fields dumping it down to him, and he's taking it to a distance. I think J.K. Dobbins is is the steal of the draft. I think if you're a fantasy owner, you've got to target J.K. Dobbins, and I think um, by week, I would say like 12 or 13, he's going to be vying for that number one spot away from Mark Ingram. I think with enough reps 
and his youth and his tenacity and he's able to break the, the big plays, I think you'll see Mark Rim start taking less and less role in that offense. Awesome. Uh, who do you got at three? Number three, man, I've got the New Orleans Saints. Um, I think these guys entering the draft um, had one of the most complete rosters. Um, and in my estimate, they just got better. They uh, they helped out tremendously on the offensive line for, for Drew Brees. They went, they got, um, what's his face? Um, Caesar Ruiz. Yeah. yeah. Alex Ruiz as an offensive lineman. Um, and the fact that they already had a lower roster and they did a great draft, man. Um, you have the Thunderdome as your backdrop to, you know, provide that home field advantage. And you got a quality backup in Jameis just in case, um, you know, Drew Brees has to go out for a few games like he did this year. Uh, I think they're the number three draft. Uh, they're the number three power ranking on my team, man. Gotcha. Um, I have the Saints at four. At number three, I got the uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, they, they, you know, despite – Taking a step back uh, with Jimmy G's play, uh, they they really they, their defense is still intact. They they addressed the DeForest Buckner trade uh, via the draft. Uh, they got Brandon Ayuk. Uh, they they shored up the Joe Staley retirement with Trent Williams. Uh, I think this is still their division to win uh, in the NFC West, and it's going to be fun to see how uh, Kyle Shanahan schemes these you know Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk in the space and. Can Raheem Mostert keep, you know, trudging along like he did down the stretch last year? And, and uh, and you know, is Jarek McKinnon going to come back? If he is, it's just more depth at the running back position. So I have them as the number three team. It's going to be fun to watch. Um, and then, like I said, I have the Saints at four. Uh, everything you said is, is basically is just chalk. And they they added to that wide receiver core with Emmanuel Sanders to complement um uh, Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas finally has a true number two receiver to compliment him. That's no disrespect to Ted Ginn, but you I mean old man Teddy Ginn is not a true number two. Uh, we we all saw what Emmanuel Sanders did last year, coming back less than a year removed from Achilles surgery, and it's going to be fun to see what Sean Payton does with him in the offense. Um, who do you got at number four? Number four, I've got the Tampa Brady Buccaneers. You man. would. I've got Tom Brady, Gronk on a roster with Mike Evans, Godwin, and O.J. Howard, man. And you somehow take the best offensive lineman at number uh, number 14 or 13, whatever it was. Uh, But Tristan Wirfs, he fell down to them at 14. And you've got yourself a winner, man. You've got yourself the number number four team uh, on the power rankings, man. Uh, The only only cause for concern I have is this whole coronavirus, the fact that Brady can't get out there with his teammates, the fact that, you know, they've got to work through getting the playbook up to uh, get Brady and the playbook up to speed um, via all these Zoom calls. Yeah, I mean, that might be a little bit of an issue and a hindrance, uh, but I'll tell you what, you've got those offensive weapons. You've got Tom Brady, who's motivated. Um, you've got yourself probably one of the best offenses in the league. And if it wasn't for the coronavirus, give me number one. Give me Tampa Brady at number one. <laughs> wow. You know what? I was talking with our boy Juice, and we were, we were doing the over-under of where you would have uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and uh, I think Justin won that bet. My, you just said it. Like my only concern with this team is, you know, coronavirus aside, and there's there's going to be, if anything, a limited training camp, if any. You have this virtual offseason program. Uh, you can't really have any communications face to face with staff. But I think that might change depending. You know, I think I think facilities are slated to open this week, barring any unforeseen changes. But you know, let's face it, you have a lot of stock in a quarterback that's going into his age, I believe, 44 season because his birthday is in August. 43. You have 43. 
you have, what is it, like Gronk at 32, a year out of football, a, a history of back issues. Uh, you know, it, it, I, it's great that they have depth at the tight end position. It's just the continuity to me is, is going to be key. Uh, you know, if we did a top 10, I, I might have Tampa Bay at eight. Uh, but that's that's just me. It's going to be fun to see how this team and how teams in general look coming into week one if there isn't any semblance of an off-season program. That's the only thing that holds me back. A lot of these teams in my top five are st- like established and continuity is, is factored in. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think it's one of those things where I can see this working against the, the Tampa Brady Buccaneers for week one, obviously, uh, going into New Orleans and try to play Drew Brees in that team. You're not going to win that game. I mean, right off the bat, uh, you're not going to win that game. It is what it is. You're going to have to take that loss. Um, but I do think around week four or five, this team will start clicking. I think with enough reps, um, this team is going to start clicking and probably vying for one of the best offenses in the league. So, I mean, I know there's a lot that goes into it, but uh, I do have high hopes for this Tampa Bay team this year. Sweet. Uh, who do you got at five? At number five, a little bit of a shocker maybe for you, but I got the Buffalo Bills, man. Oh, we're great All minds right. think alike. I have the Bills at five, too. So a great draft. Uh, I like what they did, man. I think uh, AJ uh, Epinesa will help replace uh, re- replace uh, Shaq Lawson. Um, I think that was a great pickup for those guys. Plus they gave Josh Allen, um, Zach Moss, a running back out of Georgia. And then finally they paired that up with Stefan Diggs in free agency. Um, like I said, man, I-, I think top to bottom, this is the best roster in the AFC. And essentially they should be, I'm sorry, the AFC East. And they should be winning the AFC East. Now this is all going to hinder on Josh Allen. I'm going to beat this drum quite a bit this year. Just like Baker, dude, uh, you got everything you need. You got an offensive line. You got a decent defense. You've got good weapons. This is on your development. This is your year to step up. This is your year to win the AFC East with no Tom Brady in the division. So the pressure's on you, just like uh, Baker Mayfield. And I think these guys at number five with that roster is is a good fit. Yeah, no, uh, I love, I love, to, I love uh, Buffalo at five. Uh, I, you know, just not even just in the AFC East. I think as a AFC on a on a whole spectrum, I think they have one of the more complete rosters in the, uh, in the national, in the AFC uh, just as a whole. Um, I really like, you know, John Brown, he took a step forward last year. He proved he's more than just a burner. His route tree is complete. He can do all the different routes. I, I really like Dawson Knox, a tight end uh, picking up Stefan Diggs, a, a guy that, you know, not only is a burner, he can do some of those routes as well too. Uh, Josh Allen's going to have a field day stretching the field with him and John Brown, uh, Devin Singletary leading that backfield. I know they picked up a running back in the draft. Uh, AJ Epinesa, like you said, and I'm going to come out and say it. I put a bet down for defensive player of the year. And the name on that bet slip is Ed Oliver. I think if he plays more snaps, he came into last year's draft kind of compared to uh, an Aaron Donald type. I think you could see Ed Oliver, if he plays, let's say, about at least 75% of the snaps, He, if he gets 15 sacks on a team that's bound for the playoffs, he's going to get buzz uh, for, uh, for Defensive Player of the Year. And I think he could totally do that. This pass rush is elite. The secondary is elite as well, too. Um, this is just one of the more all-around rosters that I'm psyched to see going forward. And you know, I, I think Josh Allen... It's like you said, it's going to come down to being consistent. I mean, his completion percentage increased from year one to year two. Now he needs to make the next leap forward with all. Now all the pressure is going to be on this team because these guys were up and comers last year. And now they have the chance to, you know, take a stranglehold on this division for the next five years at least. That's a great point, man. It's uh, it's all 
fun and well when you're the up and comer and there's no pressure on you. But when when you're the prohibitive favorite in the AFC East, nobody's picking the Jets to win. Nobody's picking the Patriots to win. Nobody's picking the Dolphins to win that division. It's on you. The Buffalo Bills, you're a 12 and 4, 11 and 5 team on paper. So you better come to win, man. Yeah. Uh, which team? I know we only did top five, but which team just missed on cracking the top five? Uh, uh, I didn't think that far deep into it, but the one team that's now my top five, and you can call it my Jimmy G hate, but I am not sold on the 49ers. I think this is a year they're going to take a little bit of a step back. I mean, we're talking still 11 and five, uh, team maybe 12 and six. I'm sorry, 10 and, 10 and six or 12 and four. Um, but I think, uh, the fact that there's all these rumblings of Kyle Shanahan and, you know, uh, John Lynch at Mental World, they actually looked into J- Tom Brady and just how they feel about Jimmy G. I just I just don't buy Jimmy G. I think he's an overrated quarterback on a great team. Um, he can only be uh, he can only carry them so far and eventually he'll be exposed like he was in the Super Bowl. But I do think uh, I think uh, I, that's the reason why they're not in my top five. Uh, all right. All right. I got Dallas. Uh, they just missed. They just missed the top five. Uh, they were coming at six for me. Uh, what, they have a you know stacked roster as well, too. But there's just a bunch of questions of, you know, Dak Prescott. I, I think he's going to play under the tag. Uh, I think he's going to sign the tag and they're going to hash out a long-term deal. Why they didn't cross that bridge last year is beyond me. They should have paid him first before they paid Zeke. Uh, well, that's just me. Uh, but they it's just questions of the – again, it's going to come down to the offseason. Kellen Moore is still there as the offensive coordinator, but now – you know, they have to get used to Mike McCarthy as the head coach. It's I think everyone has Jason Garrett holding that team back, and I'm in the camp as well, too. But, you know, now it's going to be put up or shut up time for – for um, oh, Jesus Christ. Back? Mike McCarthy. Yeah, oh, Mike, Mike McCarthy because, you know, he came into into this year into getting this job saying he learned from his mistakes with, uh, with Green Bay the last couple of years, and he's, you know, buying into the analytics of things. Now we need to see is that is that going to be true? Is that going to be the case? So that's why they, they're at, uh, at six for me. They just missed out in the top five. Cool, cool. Awesome, man. Well, uh, before we go, it looks like a little bit of a news came out before we jumped on the podcast. Um, looks like you brought it up to me from Bleacher Report and some ESPN Monday Night Football news. You want to give the people a rundown on that? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, got this alert on Bleacher Report. Uh, looks like the actually the Athletic broke the story, but ESPN will not be bringing back Joe Tessitore and, uh, and Booger McFarland into the Monday Night Football booth. Um, that's kind of music to my ears uh i booger was just i, I couldn't do it anymore uh, there were times where i almost watched the tv on mute i i just booger booger is just too much and joe tessator i you know what stick with like american ninja warrior or or that or that you know mini golf thing you have on abc but i just i can't do it so this is music to my ears uh it's gonna be you have to guess that they're going to have uh lou riddick be the um, be the play-by-play guy. So who's going to be the color analyst is going to be the, the the big question. I mean, who besides Chris Fowler, who is going to be that guy that could be the color guy to to complement the play-by-play dude? 
That's that's a good that's a good call, man. And uh, and I think their ESPN's never gonna touch their Chris Fowler and Herbie um, pairing uh, for uh, college football. I mean that's that's just gold right there. Um, so the biggest cash cow for ESPN is college football. If you look at their numbers and the amount of revenue they bring in, um, is is from college football. So you're not gonna fuck with that product, right? Um, but I think what you do look at is you do look at you do look at your competitor. You do look at Fox Sport. You do you do look at Gus Johnson and uh, Joe Klatt. I, I think. If you bring those two guys over to ESPN, I think those two guys are are just absolutely delight to watch on Saturdays. I know I watch a lot of college football, and uh, with the FS1 on Fox Sport having a big a big hand in the Big Ten Network, we do see a lot of um, Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson. But if I'm ESPN, man, I'm doing what Fox Sports did to ESPN a while ago, where they went in and took a bunch of big personalities like Skip Bayless and Colin Coward. But now you go back and you hit them hard. You pay whatever it takes to get Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt over to ESPN to do Monday Night Football coverage, and I think that's going to be gold. If you ever watch a college football game on Fox Sports, the energy coming out of Gus Johnson with the just the ability to articulate good plays and good uh, articulate good concepts to the fans from Joe Klatt is where it's at for ESPN. Right, right. Just a bit, but uh, sorry, I didn't mention this. The piggyback on that, the athletic. Granted, this could change, but I guess they're looking at internal options. So I, it's. I think they're going to have to go out. They're going to have to go out and poach some people from Fox because I can't think of anybody in house to do play by play. So. But either way, it's going to be music to my ears come Monday Night Football, where the first game of the doubleheader, where I will actually be conscious to watch. I don't have to hear uh, Booger McFarlane and Joe Tess break down the uh, Steelers and Giants game. So, <laughs> oh, dude, I, uh, I am not looking forward to that one bit. I think uh, Monday Night Football has its issues, and a lot of the issues stem from the fact that um, they're first of all they're on ESPN. Uh, they're not on a major network like an ABC or CBS or uh, NBC. And on top of that, uh, you have crap games. I've always said as the games get better, your ratings will get better. But a small part of that viewing experience is also Booger McFarland and uh, Joe Testator. I think they're absolute trash. Um, I would take anybody over those guys. I would watch them on mute. I mean, at the end of the day, they're just that bad. Yep, fact. I'm just glad. Uh, remember when Booger McFarland had the Booger Mobile? And like people were throwing stuff at him from the stands, like that was that was the beginning of the end for Monday Night Football with me. I mean, I I always felt bad, you know. Everybody railed on uh on Jason Witten, and you know, God bless him. Jason tried his best, but when you're sharing play by play with uh with Booger McFarland on a on a on a cherry picker on the field, and you can't get a word in edgewise, yeah, I would go back and uh, and put on the pads one more time to get away from that guy. Uh, yeah, no music to my ears. This is like Christmas, Christmas on May 9th. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, man. Um, that, uh, that is some great, great news. Um, I think off the top of my head, man, I think, I think my favorite, uh, I'm I'm sorry. My favorite announcers are probably, um, Probably the uh, NBC guys uh, with uh, what's his face? I'm forgetting his name right now. Oh, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. I like I like Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. Uh, Number two, probably the CBS guys with Romo and Nance. Number three, probably uh, Buck and Aikman. I actually don't mind Buck and Aikman. I know a lot of people have issues with Troy Buck, but I actually don't have an issue with the Fox broadcasters at all. But at the end of the day, man, I'll take. I'll take Joe Klein and Gus Johnson at five. I'll take uh, Herbie and Herb Street. I'm sorry, Herb Street and Fowler at six. And then way down at 12 after a bunch of other bullshit is uh, Tessator and uh, what's his face? Uh, Booger McFarland. Yeah, Booger and Tess wouldn't crack my top 10. I love to see. I 
you know what? I, I like Al. I love Al Michaels. I grew up with Al, but uh, Chris Collinsworth can be a little too much, uh, especially with the the here's a guy. If you did a drinking game uh, during a Sunday night football game and you took a shot for every time he said, here's the guy, somebody's going to end up with alcohol poisoning. Uh, but I love, I love Romo and Nance. Uh, give me those guys. Um, followed by Collinsworth and Al. And then I'm with you at three would be um, uh, Joe Buck and, and Troy Aikman, even though I can't really stand Joe Buck that much. But yeah, that's it. I think I think if you somehow pair up Al Michaels um, with, uh, God, let's see, with Joe, with Joe Klatt. I mean, I think that right there is a great pairing. I think that would do wonders. I know Gus Johnson is not everybody's cup and tea. He can be a little bit too much sometimes. Even myself sometimes don't like uh, the, the just the over-the-top energy I get from Gus Johnson. But I think Al Michaels and the way that Joe Klatt can articulate concepts to the audience, I, I think would be a, a game winner for, for ESPN. Right. Right, but you know what? But I think what was it? Breeze Breeze agreed to go to NBC, NBC. right? Yeah, yeah. So that would be fun for Breeze and Breeze and Al if Al Michaels is still around by then. I find it funny that these yeah, these uh, networks will gamble on that. I mean, you really can't tell what Drew Breeze is going to be. I mean, for God's sake, the guy's a great quarterback, but how do we know he's a great broadcaster? I mean, we we saw Jason Wynn kind of flame out. Um, so it's it's interesting that these uh, these networks kind of take such a big gamble with such big money. That's uh, a Tony Romo effect. I mean, everybody, myself included, when it came out that Tony Romo was going to go into the commentary booth and immediately be the A-team with Nance, and they kicked uh, Phil Sims out of the booth. I was like, man, this is going to crash and burn. This is going to be bad. And then after that first game, I was like, man, this is a breath of fresh air. I'm excited. So uh, it's going to be fun to see. I think, you know, when you compare, like, Jason Witten to to Breeze, I think Breeze is just more of a he – has, he has a bigger personality than Jason Witten, and I think he's more – you know, he's more open in discussions. And I think that would be, that would be fun to see on NBC, but I think they, they're going to try him out on like in studio stuff first and then some college games and then work his way up to the, the big show. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll, uh, we'll see how it pans out, my man. And you want to get to anything else before we wrap up? No, no. Uh, unless you, you got the final word, unless you, if you don't have anything, I'll just, I'll plug it up. Uh, plug it up <laughs> <laughs> alright perfect uh, this episode and previous ones of the Pro Football Radio Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play and Stitcher you can get to us on social media uh, Facebook and Instagram Pro Football Radio Podcast Twitter at PFR Podcast I'm on Twitter at Brando underscore Puma. Jay Chima is at Jay Chima. Like, subscribe, download this episode and previous other ones. You got nothing but time on your hands living under the bubble known as quarantine. So why not bring us into your daily lives to change things up a little bit around the house? Uh, hit us up on social media if you want us to do a mailbag, if you want to get us uh, us to answer some questions. You know, discuss schedule release, fantasy football stuff, gambling, you know, whatever you want. Hit us up. We'll be more than happy to answer that on our next episode. And uh, hopefully everybody be smart, be safe. Don't be stupid. The sooner we get over this and listen to the authorities, the better off everybody's going to be. And we'll be able to see uh, see a football game at our favorite bar or go into a stadium and actually enjoy live football experience. Otherwise, that's all I got. I did have something to say. God damn it, Jake. That's why I give you the final word. I so, give you the countdown. I give you the countdown. So 
<laughs> to give you guys Liz some updates. Taylor now has the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> to give you guys some quick updates on our show, um, we've been thinking about switching things up for the upcoming fall season. Um, more details are going to follow, but I think we're going to end up launching a uh, YouTube channel, which we already have one, but we're going to end up launching a um, weekly show with our podcast. Essentially, myself and Dapuma will sit down, um, try to give you guys a show, uh, Joe Exotic style. Um, we're actually working through some rebranding uh, things right now. So if you guys have any um, suggestions for our rebranding, our name of the show, stuff like that, please let us know. Um, like always, like Brennan always says, this show is more yours than ours. So uh, just a quick update, but big things are coming this fall. Yes, sir. Now, are you good? <laughs> well, I, I have one more thing I want to say, but I think, do you want to give the, the Your Fire to Friday or should I do it? I think you can hit him with the You're Fire today. Ready? <laughs> you're Fire! <laughs> All right, y'all. It's been real. We'll talk to you guys on the other side. Jay, say your goodbyes, good sir. Peace out, homies. Via con Dios.